Welcome to Means of Creation. This is a weekly show where we are discussing the passion economy, the creator economy, and the future of work. I'm your host, Lee, along with my co-host, Nathan. And today we're joined by Alan Lau, who is the co-founder and CEO of Wattpad, which is a social storytelling platform that enables writers to publish original stories spanning genres like romance, fantasy, young adult, mystery, historical fiction, fan fiction, poetry, and more. And Wattpad also leverages the data from its community of 90 million users to turn those stories into books, films, and TV shows through Wattpad Studios and Wattpad Books. The company was founded in 2006 and was just acquired for $600 million by Naver, which is a South Korean internet conglomerate that owns the UGC publishing platform Webtoon. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about that later in this conversation. And prior to being acquired, Wattpad had raised a total of about $117 million in VC funding. And today, Wattpad is based in Toronto, and Alan is a vocal advocate of Canada's tech scene. So thanks so much, Alan, for being here today. Thanks for inviting me. Of course. So I want to start off with your sort of origin story and founding story behind Wattpad. So you started the company in 2006. The internet looked really different back then. It was pre-mobile, pre-smartphones, still dial-up internet, I think. So tell us about the inspiration and the founding story behind why you started this company. Yeah, I think at that time, maybe the afterworld, maybe not even half, broadband internet was becoming, I think I got my first broadband in 2003 or something, right? so it, yeah. it was a, a quite new, but for sure, mobile internet, I, I, I was able to get a mobile internet plan at that time, but to download one megabyte would cost you $10. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. Um, and anyway, back to the founding story. The original idea actually started in the year 2002. I was the CTO and co-founder of my first company. It's called Tira Wireless. It's a mobile gaming publisher. The mobile gaming publisher today means a very different thing than almost 20 years ago. We did and the games uh, and licensed the brand from and uh, turned it into games, but running on the Guess what? The candy bar I'm here from uh, for those oh, wow. people <laughs> in this call, you may recall that. I'm uh, too young. Uh, uh, you may not uh, know that, but at least probably when one of your parents phone and place deck on, on those phones. And that's, we built a gaming business on, on that phone. But uh, I have to say, I was very passionate about the mobile side. I love gadgets. I still love gadgets. I love forever. I love gadgets. But, Gaming was, I play games, but I'm more like a casual gamer. It's not truly my passion. Uh, in my spare time, I, I love to read. And uh, that's why I had this idea. Yeah, perhaps I could combine my profession and my passion, turn that into a mobile reading app. And I did a, a very simple Java-based mobile reading app for the Candy Bar and But Almost instantly, I knew it's way too early for the market. Uh, as you can imagine, I could only read two lines of text at a time to read a paragraph. I have to this yeah. is like the Kindle before the Kindle yeah, yeah. existed. Yeah, it was way before everybody yeah. else. So, so I, I didn't pursue the idea. And then, fast forward to the year 2006. Um, 
uh, most popular phone at that time was the uh, was the flip phone. So uh, instead of two lines of text, now I can read many lines of text. And, uh, <laughs> Luxurious. <laughs> exactly, a curious version. It, the market is ready for me. So I resurrected that idea. Well, uh, and while I was busy coding in the basement, now my one co founder Ivan, he instant messaged me and sent me a link. And that's what he said Hey, Alan, I'm working on a new product idea. Uh, here's the link. Can you check it out and give me some feedback? I click on that link. Guess what I saw? He was also working on a mobile reading app on the platform. So cool. Because, uh, you know, he was a, uh, he's, he still is a very good friend of mine and I knew him for many years. And I could not believe we were both independently working on the same thing at the same time. And I was one of the smartest person I have ever met. So it must he thinks it's a good idea. I also think it's a good idea that we should totally. pursue this idea. And, um, well, uh, I, would, I would love to say the rest is history, but of course, it's a uh, uh, very interesting roller coaster ride. Uh, it's not always good sailing. Totally. What kind of, I'm curious in those kind of early days, like what kind of writing did you envision people would use your platform to publish? Were you thinking about like storytelling and creativity? Were you thinking about like nonfiction or blogging or personal updates? I'm just curious, what was the intended use almost? I was a writer. And I didn't imagine I am a writer, even though I write a lot more these days. But the reason I started the company was because I love to read. And I can speak for Ivan. We both love to read. And look at my media consumption. You know, uh, video is a very small part. Audio is a very small part. I, I read a lot. Same for Ivan. And that's why we started the company. We built part of ourselves. We want to read. And I have to say, writing was almost an afterthought. At least initially, we were not too prescriptive in terms of the type of writing. Uh, we were just trying to focus on the written word. That, that's that's what we, we we chose. And I would have to say, we we think more about content than the writers or the creators in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was like also- truly horizontal. Truly, truly horizontal. Uh, yeah. And uh, one thing I do want to add is, over time, we were getting more traction on, on fictional and creative writing, uh, and, and that's what uh, that's why we put the focus on. Right. Yeah. It's interesting because when you started the company, I think at the at the time there was not really that much of a precedent for what you were supposed to write online. People were using the blogging platforms for all sorts of things, putting their personal diaries on the internet, just being really creative. I think of that period of the internet as being probably some of the most creative times because there was no precedent for what you were supposed to do with all of these platforms. And over time, things became a bit more templatized and standardized and there was more guidance on exactly the type of content that you were supposed to produce. But it must have been pretty interesting to see with this platform in the early days, what types of stories people both wanted to create as well as to consume. Yeah, initially, just like any other outside marketplace or community, uh, we we had the code stop problem, right? Uh, the writers and the content, we did not have any readers. Without any readers, no one would have any incentive to upload anything. We had a 
pretty interesting way to, to bootstrap the one side of, of the marketplace. Uh, uh, we use uh, classic books because uh, two engineers uh, started a company. We had no idea uh, how to do business development or signing deals with yeah. publishers. Uh, we, uh, we, you know, uh, after 14 years, I, I think we, we know a bit about business development now, but at that time it was a very foreign concept to us. So the easy way out uh, would be just import uh, the prime prejudice and all those classic mm-hmm. books uh, onto, onto our platform. And after all, as I, as I mentioned, you know, we, we were more reader focused in the beginning, but we knew that we had to bootstrap the supply side first. And that's why right. books. So it started with written work that was in the public domain that you could acquire without having to actually find writers and combat the to combat the cold start problem. Right. Yeah. I've also read stats recently about how reading for leisure is on the decline at least in the US and how the percentage of teens who are reading regularly for pleasure has decreased. And I think that's not surprising given the whole slew of entertainment options available now. But I'm curious how you think about that trend in light of working in this market and whether as a result of that, you are thinking more in terms of different formats of content beyond just reading. Yeah, I would say perhaps they did the survey or research, they did not come to us. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think this is the, the trend quite opposite uh, to, uh, to what we see. Obviously, our numbers are going to the right. So uh, I would say even, even this year, last year, uh, even today, we're at record traffic. You know, we sign up more people than ever, more you know, MAU in high than ever. Uh, so I, 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 uh, I would semi-dispute this notion that you know, people don't read anymore. Uh, I would say they, they just read very differently. What we see on, on our own platform, the type of content may not be one that you could easily buy at a bookstore or like fanfiction that may be earlier, right? Uh, this is something not you can easily buy. Uh, and because the, today the, the teenagers, they are mobile native. They don't have the concept that's pre, what pre-mobile internet is like. Uh, this uh, Snapchat generation or Instagram generation, they love that feedback, they love that interaction, they love that community. That's who they are. And uh, on, on one hand, you know, we, uh, not only we, we have uh, content that people upload, but one thing that we did right was people can comment and comment mm-hmm. yes. on a per chapter or per, uh, um, per paragraph basis. Right? So this type of contextual interaction and feedback, we drive that flywheel uh, pretty fast, and, and that's very native to this generation. With this view that people can read anymore, they can only read differently. And but I would also agree, given the the array of entertainment that people have, I, th- I think text or fiction, text-based fiction, is probably at a disadvantage. Uh, it's less shareable, less viral, uh, less visually um, attractive, perhaps. Uh, this generation is more visual generated than uh, simulation ever, right? Yeah. That's one of the reasons why we expanded ourselves 
uh, in some more like publishing startup look to transform ourselves to become a multi-platform entertainment company. Totally. Also, one one quick note for the people on YouTube. I think the sound is faint, and I don't know if your microphone for your computer is near enough to you, but it might help the people on YouTube to if you could somehow get the computer microphone a little bit closer to your voice. Sorry about that. Quick technical thing. We're still figuring out, like I said, this is week three of our new AV setup, and we're, we're getting there. So, yeah, it's complicated behind the scenes here. There's yeah, lots of Club- different microphones going on. I know. Clubhouse really needs to build a recording functionality so that we can please yes. make our workflow a little bit easier. Anyway, yeah. sorry. I, um, I, was, I was poking around on Wattpad recently, and it's really striking just the array of creativity and formats that users are playing with. It's a huge contrast with the type of user-generated storytelling platforms that I grew up with in the late 90s and early 2000s. Back in those days, there wasn't as much images or videos inside of these UGC platforms because they would have taken an hour to download probably. And instead it was like complete sentences, all prose, like large blocks of text. And on Wattpad recently from clicking around and checking it out, it looks, there's some stories that are entirely text-based, like text chat, like people texting each other. There's stories where it's folks who are just sharing like a cast of characters that they would cast into this story and which actors they would cast into the roles of different stories. Stories, it's like much more multimedia, which is really fascinating. Yeah, in a way, because the two founders are, are not writers or aspiring writers, in a way, it, it works to our advantage because we were not as bound by the traditional writing, for lack of a better term. We, we don't have that constraint because we don't have a preconception of how. A, good piece of writing software uh, or user interface would, would be like. Very early on, we decided let's, let's not build a very comprehensive or sophisticated writing or compose screen. Keep that very simple, except that, uh, of course, you, you can add different fonts, but it's very basic. And then over the time, we added the capability of inserting animated GIFs because it uh, just we, we think it will uh, fit more to this generation and, and eventually YouTube video. Uh, you can embed YouTube video as well, but we stay true to our original objective. Uh, keep the Compose screen that simple. And in a way, that allows us to have much more flexibility than... than uh, anything else. Uh, that's why you, you see some of the um, uh, stories that uh, are actually quite creative. Uh, some people actually write, writing comics using animated GIFs directly or ex- exclusively. And uh, the comics on, on Wattpad uh, is a- actually animated using mm-hmm. animated GIFs. So that kind of creativity we enable using, using product itself to enable that creativity. That's really cool. I, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about creator monetization. Mm-hmm. So creator monetization is having its moment and all sorts of different UGC platforms are really paying attention now more so than ever before to how to enable its creators to actually monetize all of their content. And my question for you is like, how does Wattpad think about creator monetization for this particular content format? Do you think monetization is a key priority or value driver for the writers on 
the Wattpad community. And yeah, maybe we'll just start there. And then I have a lot of follow-up questions yeah, too. It's, it's absolutely very important to us. That being said, I think it's, it's a journey. Earlier, when we built the product, I, I would say even in, up until 2013, 2014, we put more focus on the reader side because we realized for most aspiring writers, the number one thing uh, is not about money. It's about the fan base. The, mm-hmm. the, because when your fan base is only five people, the monetization opportunity is so tiny. But those five readers who come back to the platform every day to, to wait for your next chapter, that will drive the flywheel, that will drive the motivation, that will encourage people to stay on the, to the platform. Only when we reached maybe 30, 40 million month users, that's when we start to think about monetization because what we realized at that time, passion, while it's great, it's not enough anymore. All, all, all the uh, top writers on our platform, they start to realize, okay, now I got the recognition, I'm validated. Uh, yeah. I can turn this into a career. Uh, what's next? How can I monetize? And for us, we have to provide that opportunity for them to to monetize. Otherwise, they could go on to other platforms to monetize or find other ways to monetize. And that's probably not the most effective because the, the passionate fan base may not move with you to another platform to monetize. That's why the, uh, the monetization and the fan base, they have to be very tightly coupled. That's when we started to introduce what we call pay stories. Uh, and that's still chapter by chapter monetization. Maybe the first 10 chapters or 20, uh, 20 chapters are free. But after that, uh, you pay a very nominal fee, maybe a few coins uh, through our virtual currency uh, to purchase, you, you spend dollar to buy 100 coins or something and each chapter is 5 to 10 coins or something like that a very nominal fee so that you can uh, very low barrier for people to pay and if they continue to like the story behind the paywall they continue to pay as you go Uh, that worked quite well for us and then we combine that with our subscription service uh, so now we have an array of uh, business models on our platform you can pay a la carte uh, but uh, you can also uh, subscribe uh, and through subscription you have we give you free access to two full stories uh, per month that's probably good enough for you to consume for a month and if you want uh, uh, one more you can always purchase more coins um, that became a very effective way for us to uh, for the writers to, to make money we share majority of the revenue back to the writers uh, and then as we start to expand into movies tv shows and, and print books the off-platform monetization that's open up another i wouldn't say many doors for the creators to make money now they can actually make money not only on our platform but going to Barnes and Noble, they can people can buy their physical books the movies they uh, it's their IP when we work with Sony Pictures, for example, to turn a story into a TV show, they would get compensated as well. But the point I want to make is it's not necessarily a single business model, especially when we are talking about entertainment. There, there are multiple forms, multiple ways mm-hmm. to, to, to adapt an IP to. And being able to have a multimodal business model is, is actually very important in this context. Totally. I'm curious to hear what is there like a 
kind of content that like maybe works better under one business model than another? Is there some content that they really want to keep it all free so that they can maximize the audience because they're pretty sure they want to sell the IP later? Or is there another kind of content that it makes more sense to, to put behind a paywall? I'm, I'm curious if you've seen any kind of like specialization almost occur on the platform. Yes, uh, uh, a little bit, but I, I wouldn't. Maybe I'll give a couple of examples. Um, yeah. But I, I, I would not use these two examples to broadly generalize. The popular stories, that one, I think it works better for subscription because it's broad based. I think the monetization opportunity is, is high. This one is easy to understand. But for the, what we've seen, at least in a few cases, story whose uh, fan base is actually smaller, but the story is longer, let's say a few hundred chapters, the IAP paper chapter model actually works better mm. because the, we rely on the 100 fans, you know, to, to pay for mm -hmm. that and then for the 100 fans to pay for that. Uh, if the story is very short, you, you miss out that opportunity. If you have a sequel or a new story, you have to start selling again. Whereas yeah. if you have a much longer story, you, that monetization opportunity would, would uh, continue. It's almost like uh, Grace Anatomy. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> it never ends. Uh, so um, right. it works well for a smaller fan base, but much more passionate fan base. Line to the hundred fan model. The yeah, I think I, I think I would use uh, these two examples to to describe. But yeah. I would also say the business model might be different in different geographies. For example, in Southeast Asia, in many countries, subscription is such a foreign concept. People just don't subscribe to things. Mm -hmm. right? People pay a la carte. People even buy a shampoo. They buy a small pack. They don't buy a bottle. So hmm. uh, in that type of economy. IAP works way better than subscription. Uh, yeah. Over time, it may, they may converge. I, I was going to ask you, so now your your new parent company, Naver, it has this really interesting property called Webtoon, which is basically this UGC platform for creating online comics, manga, anime, like kind of graphic uh, stories. And I was wondering if you could share with us, like, how does Webtoon make money? What is the like predominant revenue model there and how does it differ versus Wattpad? Webtoon has a stronger presence in, in Asia. To the best of my knowledge, I'm, I'm new to the company. Only, uh, I'm only two weeks old uh, mm -hmm. in this company, so I also have very limited knowledge. But based on what I know, the monetization is less about subscription, but IAP. Um, that's reflected right. in the product itself if you try out the product. And, and for us, I guess it's a little bit different because of the geographic distribution. Is, uh, for that webtoon, it's a little bit different. They are mostly in Asia uh, and also have uh, quite strong presence in the U.S., whereas uh, Wattpad is more in Southeast Asia, uh, Latin America, U.S. Uh, and Europe. So we half our users are in Asia, half or uh, Asia and Latin America, half in U.S. and in Europe. So we have a pretty global view, and we can see the the difference between these two geographies. Yeah, China is more. Asia. So I think naturally more IAP would, 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 would work for that makes sense. demographics. In-app purchases almost feels like the modern day equivalent of the Victorian serialized novel. Like in, in the Victorian era, serialized fiction was really popular where 
one chapter essentially at a time would get published in like a weekly or monthly magazine. And over time, the entire novel would come together that way. But people would purchase per issue. And so the incentive on the author's part was to really hook them in and keep them engaged and keep them reading so that they would continue purchasing. Some really well-known novels were written this way, like Vanity Fair from the Victorian era. Yeah, and Dickens. in a way, mm-hmm. yeah, Dickens, exactly. Dickens is the poster child for that. I think the, there's something interesting about uh, business models. I guess a lot of the old business models would become feasible again because of the advancement or improvements in technologies, uh, like in a purchase. There we go, you're back. Yeah, I'm back. I'm back. Uh, someone's calling me. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that happens. Yeah, that happens. I, I should turn on Do Not Disturb. I forgot. I apologize for that. But uh, anyway, my, my point is that serialization and monetized through serialization was not possible until the internet, until the mobile internet, until Apple reinvented uh, the micropayment. Um, mm-hmm. Because just economically, it would not make sense uh, without that. Yeah, I think you made a really insightful point earlier too, which was that in the early days of Wattpad and also in the early stages of a creator's life cycle, they're not actually first and foremost thinking about monetization. Their compensation is really in the feeling of affirmation that they get from the audience and the love that they get from their readership. And I think today with all of the hype around creator monetization, I don't want companies to lose sight of the fact that actually there's a whole range of non-monetary incentives that you can offer to creators that are just as meaningful and incentivizing to creators as the financial component. I think a lot of creators are doing it as a passion, as like a labor of love and just reaching an audience, building an audience, getting positive feedback and feeling affirmed is enough compensation for a lot of folks, especially earlier on. Totally. One form of compensation we all just got is Paul joined the founder of Clubhouse and it makes me feel special. And we don't get that when we're publishing a podcast. We have no clue who's listening. And it's, I don't know, shout out Paul. (laughs) But it's so funny just as like a subtle example of how these things work in network systems where I'm in Wattpad, there's all sorts of mechanisms for feedback, right? Like you were talking about the like paragraph or sentence level feedback you can get from readers that's like, it's meaningfully different from publishing some text on paper and then you get a number that's like, how many copies you sold? And that's like it, other than whatever, if you go out and talk to people in the world or whatever, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a reason why we call this passion economy in that sequence. Build the passion first and then the economy would come. But yes. without the passion, without the fan base, it's very hard to generate the economics. A hundred percent. Yes. And there's a lot of passion out there without much economy yet. And I'm excited about new forms to help that passionate base of creators monetize. But I think in general, the passion is really widespread and, and not everyone is solely motivated about the economic piece. The, I would also add a, a passion, even though the business model may not be obvious, but you can garner a lot of people's time. Eventually, there will be some interesting business model. So it may not be obvious in the beginning. In the case of Wattpad, who would have thought turning fan fiction into a movie would become the business model? It's only becoming obvious after the fact. 
Totally. Yeah. I think that's one of the most fascinating things about starting as horizontally as you did, where it was, it, it reminds me of YouTube in some ways, where literally it was like there wasn't a good way to read text on a phone. Like you were like, how do I create a publishing system for text? And, and then from that, there's like very specific new genres and creative forms that can emerge. And it's like also similar on YouTube, like vlogging is obviously extremely different from movies and like these long serial novels that go on for like a thousand chapters or whatever that have the deep fan base that wants to follow along. Like you said, like Grey's Anatomy, that's like its own form that's like unique to the phone. But it's so cool to see like start... I think a lot of advice that founders often get is, oh, you have to pick a very specific, okay, who is writing, who is who is reading, what kind of stories are you there for? You need to like really integrate around like a hyper niche community or whatever. And I don't know, it seems like you don't necessarily, like a lot of the most powerful companies come out of solving almost more basic kind of like distribution challenges and creating these networks. And then they're surprised by what ends up flowering on top of that. Totally. You can't can be too prescriptive mm-hmm. in the beginning because uh, you, you may be one of the one million users, but the collective minds of the other 999,000 people probably will outsmart you. So it's always good to crowdsource that innovation, whatever that is, uh, to the crowd. Yeah. It's also really interesting to consider that I think Wattpad has had a really different path towards building its business versus most other UGC platforms out there. Most other UGC platforms took the advertising supported approach, which, you know, after a decade, we've all seen the incentives that that creates, like business models determine the incentives and incentives are everything. And so if you are monetizing through an advertising based model that incentives incentivizes for reach and scale that ultimately engenders very different content that people are going to create on the platform than if you monetize through coins or in-app purchases. So it's interesting to consider like Wattpad as almost this alternative universe of what type of content gets created and supported when the business model changes. Yeah, we, in terms of business model, I mentioned earlier, we we in fact stay away from making money for so long. I guess we uh, like six years without any meaningful monetization, and I think it turned out to be uh, uh, a genius move uh, on our side. Because if we were too prescriptive early on, we would have taken a very different path. And by the time we we were seriously thinking about monetization, like six seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that started to take off. Uh, movie, uh, visual content, or video content became very important. In-app purchase uh, subscription became starting to become popular at that time, or at least feasible. Maybe popular now, but right. feasible was five years ago. If we started off with, okay, we have to sell content. Ten years ago, we probably would have been a big failure at that time. Yeah, it's fascinating how it takes, there's like a certain amount of time for almost the, the community to mature in, in a way. And you have to wait till it hits a certain point to, to get there. I'm curious, almost as like a counterfactual, what do you think would have happened if in year two or whatever, or like year three, you had tried to do monetization? What path would that have taken you down? Yeah, I think the uh, we probably would have attracted the uh, very different type of writers and mm-hmm 
example and analogy. Unfortunately, we cannot A/B test and go back in time and test it out. But the I would say the writers on Kindle self-publishing, they are quite different than what you can see on Wattpad. Our writers, they are much more. They write because they love to write. And people、yeah. publish on Kindle publishing, self-publishing is because I want to make money. So the, these two very different reasons, in a way, force the company、um, into a very different path. And I think I'm so glad that we made that choice at that time, perhaps intentionally or unintentionally. But it was such a good decision、um, when we look back, because you know there are maybe four or five billion people who can read or write. I would say maybe one percent of them they want to monetize. Ninety-nine percent of them they read and write because they're passionate about、uh, reading and writing. Not everyone、mm-hmm. wants to be Tiger Woods, but millions of people they love to play golf. I think that's the best analogy. I think we by picking the choice that we uh, uh, chose at that time. We actually captured the largest possible mark, the largest possible reading market that we we, we can possibly capture. Totally. Yeah, that's such a re- that's such an interesting insight in terms of how those incentives and business models attract different a different profile of creator. Than what you would have otherwise had. I get this question a lot around: Is the passion economy even a good thing? Because should our passions just remain pure and unmonetized, and maybe we love them because they don't make us any money, and so the people who pursue them are genuinely in it because they enjoy doing whatever it is. I don't really know what to say to that. I, I do think that I think a lot of people dream of making money from what they're passionate about, but when the path to monetization becomes clearer, there certainly is a broader base of users who enter who are perhaps not motivated by the love of whatever craft they're doing. Yeah, I think I perhaps I'm speaking from my own experience, but in a way, we also observe the same thing on Instagram and YouTube. These are not binary choices. I、yeah. don't. At least I don't believe they are. It's not like you are passionate about X, then you cannot make money on X. Yeah. And vice versa. I I think it could be in in most cases it could be both sides, two sides of the same coin. It's just that they happen in sequence. And I would also say the modern day business models、uh, that's broadband internet or mobile internet. Has enabled in the past decade and a, and a bit is the the word that we're all familiar with, freemium. If you are really passionate, if you don't want to monetize, that's okay. Stay at the free side of the freemium. But if you want to monetize, or if you spending enough time, enough passion, you have enough fan base, or, or for whatever reason, you can move yourself as a creator from the free of the freemium to the medium of the freemium. That's okay too. But that's really your choice. I think the in the past ten years, this world has democratized this. It's no longer a binary choice. The creator, whether you're passionate or、um, you want to monetize, these、mm-hmm. two choices are available to you simultaneously, and you can go from one to the other or do both at the same time. 
Yeah, I think the fluidity, especially of the way that platforms are seeming to evolve, is is very interesting. On Twitch, you could like stream and then maybe someone tips you and you didn't even really, it's, oh, hey, all you have to do is connect a bank account and you can enable tips. It's like very easy. And it's just a tip. It's okay, that's fine. And it's like the same thing on Wattpad. You may just experiment with putting one chapter behind a thing. It's different from launching a subscription business where it's, okay, now you're making a promise that on an ongoing basis, you're going to deliver a lot of value all the time. There's other ways to monetize than making that kind of a commitment. And I think it's such a good foot in the door for people to figure out if it's for them or not. Because I think getting into the psychology almost of what it's like to become a professional at something versus to just do it for fun, it does change it, like for sure. Just speaking for myself, it's it's harder in a lot of ways to be a professional boss. So you get paid. So that's the trade-off. That's the trade-off. And it's it's different for different people what they want. Yeah, that's right. You get paid, but you cannot take a vacation. You cannot skip a week, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's your choice. Totally. And, and I very much agree with that sentiment that I think more consumer choice is always better than less choices available. And so I'm firmly of the belief that a world in which more creators have the option to monetize, they don't all have to take it. Some of them can purely approach it still as a hobby, what, whereas others might choose to try and make a living from it. I think a world in which that is possible and the full range of choices are available to them is better than a world in which there is no choice to go professional. Yeah. It's interesting to it's interesting to like plot the options almost on a spectrum from like how much you're promising. Like tipping is there's no promise. It's just I'm already delivering stuff and if you like it you can pay, but it's a value has already been delivered on my end as the creator. And then there's like one-offs where it's okay, I made a thing and I'm going to put it for sale. There's no future commitment. I already created the value. Now I'm just going to see if people want it and they can pay. And then there's subscriptions where I'm committing indefinitely to providing value. And that's like the most stressful <laughs> version of it. <laughs> or even like scheduling something, right? If you announce, if you pre-announce something before you make it, that's similar, although it's like a one-off versus an ongoing commitment. But I, I think that's an interesting like way to almost plot out the levels. And it's cool that Wattpad, it seems like you've covered all the different bases on that front for creators. Uh yeah, we, we have a lot of uh, different options, but I, I would also say we are uh, pretty much the second episode of season one. I, I think the, this passion economy or helping writers to make a living is still very early. I, I think not all the options that you just mentioned, Nathan, uh, that you just mentioned that we, we have. And I'm a strong believer that uh, for monetization, we cannot draw a box and ask everyone to jump into that box. Uh, and mm -hmm. so many different boxes depends on, on your choice. Tipping would, would work, for example, would work for more casual creator, but uh, for creators who are on a schedule, they they are going to produce X every two days. Subscription may be the better model and it's not a one size fits all. Totally. Yeah. And I think there's constantly new business model innovation happening too. Like I see one of the attendees here, John Palmer, he just ran this really interesting experiment where he used crypto to crowdfund an essay that he wrote. And so instead of just publishing the work for free or putting it behind a paywall, he did something in between, which is like actually raising funds to create the essay in exchange for ownership of the actual uh, work itself, which I thought was really fascinating. And I think that 
experiment netted him like $13,000 and the work is still available and accessible and viewable by all people, even though there's a few folks who now actually like technically own the, the essay itself. So maybe yeah, this would be fascinating on Wattpad if people could buy essentially like equity in stories mm-hmm. where if I'm an author that has like a series or whatever that is really good and I'm doing the next in the series now and I could crowdfund from my fans equity ownership in that series so that when more people buy, they could just, they could potentially sell later for a higher price if it becomes a classic. The cool thing that I love about that experiment is it orients you towards the long term because equity ownership is about what is this asset going to be worth maybe in years or decades even, not just like I'll pay to check it out. So it's, it's an interesting different model. It's also like a digital souvenir in a way. It's like a, it's a cool, I don't know, it's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I think this is a very good example of, of a business model that uh, would not be possible t- 10 years ago, but now is uh, because of all, all the new technologies and uh, infrastructure that is becoming possible. And that yeah. works really well for passion economy because in the past, like pre-Netflix day before subscription is content is very transactional. Remember buying songs on iTunes. There's only one way to do it is mm-hmm. transaction. I pay you X, I get back a piece of content that I can own perpetually. And that's the only model. But uh, passion economy doesn't work this way because when we talk about passion is about long-term, a fan base. Fan base is not a moment in time. Fan base is, uh, is a longer duration. If I was a Star Wars uh, fan 10 years ago, I probably still, still am today. So that monetization opportunity is in a way recurring and perpetual. Yeah. That's why this type of business model would work much better in this new passion economy. And that's why I'm so excited about this space because this, this space is so new and uh, totally. so many things have not been invented yet. Uh, uh, it's not just the technology, it's, uh, it's also the, the business model and human psychology. That's fascinating. Totally. A hundred percent. Yes. And I just have to call out my gratitude to Alan for starting this company and being such a huge source of inspiration for me in thinking about the passion economy and writing about it. I, I think back to all of the activities that I used to do as a child for fun that I didn't used to be able to monetize. And I think Wattpad has paved the way for a large swath of people to be able to do what they love and earn either a side income or a full income from that. And I think that's so tremendously exciting. 